Welcome to Spring Church, everyone. We're so glad that you're here. Why don't you stand and join with us as we sing this song. With this heart open wide from the depths, from the heights, I will bring the sacrifice. With these hands lifted high, hear my song, hear my
As I said earlier, welcome to New Spring Church. We're so glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, when you walked in, you received a talk to a scar. If you want to fill out the information that you're comfortable with there, take it to guest services. We have a gift. Just say thank you for coming to New Spring Church. Let's continue worshiping.
come to you this morning. We're just so thankful for that amazing gift that you've given us, Lord, of your grace. Thank you so much that we're able to just come here the past few weeks and just hear from your word about this awesome gift, Lord. And, and today, thank you so much for giving the words to Mark, Lord, as he speaks to us about just having a daily reception of your grace, Lord, being able to wake up and know that we are covered by your grace, that you are there for us, that we're forgiven, Lord. Thank you so much for that gift, Lord, that amazing grace. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Luis. You appreciate Luis and the team. Wow. Great to see you this morning. You guys are my heroes. I mean, it's an hour earlier and it's cloudy and gray. I mean, this is one of those days, if you, you, know, if you really didn't have your values straight, you'd just turn over and go back to sleep, right? So you guys are my heroes. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the fourth of four weekend services here at New Spring. If you're our guest, we want to say a special thanks to you for attending our services. We know there are a lot of great churches in the region, and for you to pick New Spring to spend part of your weekend, we don't take that lightly. When you came in, you got something that looks like this. Oh, it did look like that. When you open it up, it becomes a talk to us card. Thank you so much. Um, if I get boring during the message, and I have struggled the first three times I've brought it, so if I get boring during the, the sermon, you can just fill this out with whatever information that you're comfortable with, and then bring it back to guest services. A big one back there in the lobby where I'm pointing past the cameras, and a little one back by the coffee shop. We have a gift bag for you. There's a gift in it. There's also some chocolates, which is great on a day like this. And then also information about our ministry, if you want to know about that. Plus, if you want to communicate with us, you can ask us a question or a comment, and we'll get back with you if that's what you'd like for us to do. So glad you guys are here. Um, and speaking of things being a little bit early, we have six weekend services on Easter weekend. I know that's coming up in a little, a little ways away, but we have an 8 o'clock service. And I got to tell you, I'm not one who likes anything with an 8 in front of it, but... You, you guys know what New Spring is normally like on a regular weekend, and you can just imagine on Easter that we're probably going to be jammed. So for those of you who are you know, ardent New Springers, please, if you're a Sunday attender, give some thought to attending our 8 o'clock service. I know, I thought, I thought about this long and hard, that if I had a young family, which a lot of you do, at 8 o'clock, the problem would be is I wouldn't be able to have breakfast with my family. So we've thought about that, and here's what we're going to do to incentivize you read that bribe incentivize you to come to the 8 o'clock service. We're giving away a gift card to everybody who comes to a fast food place here in Wichita. And, um, and you'll get one, and your kids will get one. So you can actually come to an 8 o'clock service and then go eat. And I still smile when I think about 2,500 people turning loose uh, at one time to go have breakfast, but thankfully it's a change. So uh, think, give that some thought. If you'd be open to that, it, it, would, it would just be such a, a big thing for us here at New Spring. We'll have six services, one on Friday, two on Saturday, three on Sunday. And uh, Easter is just going to be an extraordinary weekend. Can't wait for that to come. Um, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now to receive our offering. In a few moments, I'll be back to bring a message from our Amazing Grace series. But if you will, please take a look at the announcements during the offering. And at the end, there's a special announcement that I want you to meet a special leader here at New Spring in just a few moments. Thank you so much for being here. In just a moment, we'll be starting a very important part of the service. Please silence your cell phone or anything else that might make noise. And if you have a baby or child in the room that might cause a disturbance, please take them out to the foyer so that others can concentrate on the message. 
Prime is a gathering of college-age adults and young professionals ages 18 through 24 who come together to meet new people, worship our Savior, and hear a challenging thought from God's Word. This month we're calling it The Money Prime, and we're introducing a special guest worship leader. Come be a part this weekend on Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Learn more at liveyourprime.org. New Springs Drama Team will be meeting the second Tuesday evening of every month starting this week. If you're interested in serving at New Springs by acting, directing, or working behind the scenes in drama, check out their kickoff event and open house this Tuesday evening, March 12th. It's for anyone over the age of 18 to come see what the team is all about. Learn more at newspring.org slash drama team. Did you know you can give to New Spring right from your mobile device? Just use your browser to visit newspring.org slash mobile give or download the free secure give app from your app store. You can also give using the kiosks out in the foyer or give online at newspring.org slash give. This Easter, we'll have six identical services for you and your family to choose from. Friday, March 29th at 7 p.m. Saturday, March 30th at 4 o'clock and 5.30 p.m. And Sunday, March 31st at 8 o'clock, 9.45 and 11.30 a.m. Kids World will be open during every service, and The Wire will be open during select services. Check out newspring.org Easter for details. Wow, that looks like fun. I, I'm wearing my wire wristband today in honor of we're starting to talk about junior high camp. Wire is our junior high ministry, and I'm so happy to have with us today Daniel Mahana, who is our, our wire junior high ministry leader. So, Daniel, I know you got big news for us about junior high camp. Yes, uh, we do. Uh, first of all, for those of you who don't know, uh, the wire is what we do here at New Spring for fifth through eighth grade students. We meet three times a weekend, once on Saturday and twice on Sunday. And uh, that's what's most important to us. We work really hard to make that students to come and hang out, and, um, and it's, we consider it an honor to hang out with those students. Uh, we think middle school students are the coolest people on the planet, so um, it's just a, it's a privilege. Um, so we're really, that's what we really care about. That's what we're most passionate about on the weekend. But occasionally we like to get all the students together and uh, just have a good time, and that's what Rewired Summer Camp is about. Um, it's about some awesome, great, fun, uh, safe fun uh, in uh, Sky Ranch, or I'm sorry, Cave Springs, Oklahoma. We're going to Sky Ranch Camp. Um, and we're really excited about this year. Um, it's June 3rd to the 6th, so it's coming up quick. Uh, it's for all any students currently in 5th through 8th grade. Um, and so we're going to have a lot of fun. We've got a great band coming in, and Mark has even offered to come down for one night, which is going to be incredible. He's going to talk to the students, so we're really pumped about that. 
But um, you want to sign up uh, before April 22nd because there's a price jump. Uh, there's information on all of our, our website, newspring.org slash wirecamp. We also have some flyers and some invites in the lobby there. Um, and they've got all the information on there. You can register online. But we're really excited. It's going to be a great time. It's great, Daniel. And by the way, us, I've told all three audiences before, as a parent, I hear two things, awesome camp and price jump on April 22nd, right? So it'd be great. Just go ahead and, and jump in and get your, you know, get your kids' place secured, yep. and uh, it, it'd be just a great opportunity. Daniel, thank you so much for being in here. God bless. Thank Appreciate you. Well, for the last four weeks, we've been talking about grace, and grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. In fact, the very word for grace means gift. And for the first four weeks, we've been exploring how we interact with God, or actually how we come into a relationship with God. And for some of us, we grew up using a term salvation. Others would know a term new birth. I don't know what you call it. You just might call it God rescuing you. But many of us have been through that experience. We've had a moment of coming into connection with God. And in that connection... God does a marvelous work of grace in our lives. He's, he forgives us of our sins. He adopts us into his family. We have a, a relationship with him that goes throughout eternity. And that's so important. And the reason why we spent four weeks on it is Jesus' question. You know, he asked a question, and I'll set it aside for just a second to make a comment. Oftentimes when I'm interviewed by secular media outlets, they'll talk about what the church does, and they'll talk about it in terms of in this world, what the church does. And that's important. But I will tell you this. Jesus' question was this. What is a person profited if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The most important thing we talk about here is what happens to you five seconds after you die. I mean, I hope that this ministry always adds value to your life. It makes you... You know, it gives you the tools to be a better employee, a better person, better husband, better wife, better friend, on and on. I mean, I think there's great value here in what we communicate in this world. But the most important thing is what happens to you and me five seconds after we leave this life. And so for the first four weekends, we've been talking about grace in terms of that relationship, that beginning point of our relationship with God. For me, I was eight years old on the playground in my school in Fort Worth, Texas. I bent over to get a drink of water at the water fountain after, you know, playing outside. And I remembered the message the day before that my dad had preached. And he had said that if you would ask God that through what Jesus did for us, he would forgive us of all our sins. And at eight years old, I was a pretty precocious kid. And I had a whole litany of sins I was very concerned about. And I still remember bending over that water fountain and praying while I was getting a drink of water to receive Christ as my Savior. And my life was changed. And for the last four weeks, we've been talking about that moment in your life. And we've, we've dealt with the fact that the judgment is coming, but you and I don't have to worry about that because Jesus was judged in our place. And we talked about the law and how that none of us can keep the law. And that's not the way that God meant for us to have a relationship with God anyway. It never was keep these rules and you'll be accepted because none of us can keep the rules. But Jesus kept them for us. And Jonathan talked in week three about the place with no grace. And the reason why hell exists is just for people that don't want God. Because anytime you interact with God, you're always going to experience grace. And last week, we asked the question, can you ever lose that relationship? and, And we said, no, you can't lose that relationship. Because the question is not, can you lose God's gift? The question is, can you ever not be what the gift has made you? I mean, all of you have parents. You understand that. 
If you have kids, they may disappoint you. They may make you unhappy. You may wish you'd never had kids, but at the end of the day, they're still your kid, and we understand that your DNA is in them, and you can never deny them. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that 2,000 years ago, long before anybody ever knew anything about genetics, really, there was a verse in the Bible that says, God cannot deny us because his seed remains in us. And now that we know about DNA, we know exactly what that verse means. So, no, I mean, you don't have to worry about the judgment. You don't have to worry about the law. You don't have to worry about hell. And you don't have to worry that you can ever lose a gift because once you embrace Jesus Christ, you are given a gift that transforms you. Grace isn't just a gift you receive. It's a force that changes who you are. You become a child of God. Today, though, we're going we're gonna to make a turn. And, and we're not going to just look back at what happens the moment that you invite Jesus Christ in your life. Our series is called Amazing Grace. And it's a wonderful song, and we've sung it about every way you sang it. You can sing it. I mean, we've sung it traditionally. We've sung it in a contemporary fashion. I think we even did a little bluegrass one time. And, and I don't know what all we'll do before this series is over, but Amazing Grace is a great song. It's got quite a few verses, but most of us know four. The first verse is looking back. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. All right, that's what happened to me when I was eight years old on playground in my school in Texas. And then the second verse is what we talked about last week. It says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. In other words, grace told me that I had a holy God that I had an answer to. But then the next lyric says, and grace my fear is relieved. It's that moment where you can breathe again and say, oh, thank you, God. I can never lose this relationship. So verse 1 looks back, verse 2 looks back, and verse 4 looks forward. It says, when we've been there, we just sang it a moment ago, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It says that God's grace is going to take us throughout eternity. And John Newton was exactly right. That is true. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, God raised us up with Christ in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of of his grace. Have you ever thought about that? You're not going to experience all of God's grace in heaven the first five minutes that you're there. And you guys already know I have pet peeves about what people think about heaven because people have the goofiest ideas about heaven. First of all, we're not going to become angels. Can we just please lose that? I get told, oh, grandma's an angel. No, grandma's not an angel. Uncle Bob is not an angel. We don't turn into angels. We don't have wings. I mean, people tell you know, this idea about heaven that we're all going to turn into angel cherubs and float around on clouds and twang on harps. I have ADHD. I would be so bored within 20 minutes I'd want to leave. Let's lose that. No, no, no. You're not going to be an angel. You're going to be you. You are who God made you to be. That is who you're going to be throughout eternity. Now, thankfully, you won't live in this disposable body. I mean, when you get to heaven, you're going to be good looking and ripped. I promise you, you're going to love, you know, what's that commercial, the guy, the suit guy, you're going to love how you look, I guarantee it. Well, you're going to love how you look, but you're still going to be you. But the cool thing about heaven is that the first five minutes that you get there, you're going to say, wow, because here's the thing. And again, you think about the greatest feelings you've ever had, it can't even begin to compare with the least sensation of heaven. The most beautiful sights you've seen. I was just in Cancun two weeks ago. If God can make Cancun in a broken world, I promise you in, a, in heaven, there's no telling what he can do. The most beautiful sight that you've seen in this world can't begin to compare with the least important sight in heaven. Man, heaven is an awesome place, but here's the thing. When you've been there 10 years, God's going to say, you think you've seen something? Wait till you see this. When you've been there 10,000 years, God is still going to be turning over the cards and showing you his grace. 
So that's what John Newton was writing about in, in verse 4. You know, in verse 1, he saved a wretch like me. Verse 2, grace my fears relief. Verse 4, when we've been there 10,000 years. But it's verse 3 that I want to talk about today because verse 3 stops today in March of 2013. And it looks at God's grace today. It says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. And guys, I want to tell you something. I know there were moments in my life, if it were not for the grace of God, I would not have lived through those moments. If it were not for the grace of God, I can go back to specific moments when, I mean, my life hung by a thread, just either a potential accident or an injury or just an illness or whatever. I promise you, there have been moments in my life, if it had not been for God's grace, I would not be here today. And there are probably thousands more that I don't know about that God shielded me from. All of us can, and here's the thing, forgive me for breaking a sentence, but you could be here today and you could say, Mark, I've got some stuff that's not working in my life. I've got some junk going on in my life, but I can still tell you this. By the grace of God, you're here. You're here today. You've made it. And then Newton wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. If you will just grant me a few moments, I want to talk about that expression. Grace will lead you home. I want to talk about God's grace in your everyday life. The thing about it is most days, we just sang Grace Like Rain. I love that song. Most days, grace rains down on us and we don't even notice it. That's true. Most days of our life, grace rains down on us. I don't know about you, but I'll have days every once in a while where I'll say, nothing's going right for me today. You know what I mean by that? I mean by that, I'm accustomed to just about everything working, but I got a handful of things today that aren't working, and they've collected enough to the place where I'm saying nothing is working out right for me. But I want to offer you a challenge. I want you to just get up some morning and take out your legal pad if you're old school like me, or take out your iPad, or whatever you take notes on. I just want you to get up some morning and note everything that works out for you. I mean, like if you get up in the morning and you're alive, mark it down. You got a roof over your head, mark it down. You got a warm shower? Mark it down. You got breakfast? Mark it down. Find your car keys? Mark it down. Car starts? Mark it down. See what I'm saying? I mean, there's just a sequence of things every day in our lives. And I just want to challenge you, just someday go through everything that works out and mark it down. Because here's what the Bible says. In James 1.16, it says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever's good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father. Now, why did James put that preface in there and say, don't be misled? <laughs> because... We could be inclined to think that the good things that happen in our life just happen. But James is saying every good thing that happens is a gift from your Father. It is grace. Grace like rain. And man, I just talked about some small stuff. I mean, you know, roof over my head. I mean, think about what an awesome wife I have. How did, I, how did, how did a guy like me get Mary Alice? And I, and I think about my, my sons and my daughters-in-law, my granddaughters and my friends, and I have the greatest job in the world. I mean, it's been grace like rain that has rained down on me. I mean, my life has been full of grace, and so is yours. So is yours. And you say, Mark, I don't even believe in God. Doesn't matter. He believes in you, and he's invested his grace in you. If we would pay attention, we would notice, as John said, from the fullness of his grace, we've received one blessing after another. Or if you have an old translation, it, could say, it, it says grace on top of grace. 
And the Bible tells us that we even stand in grace. It's not a zone that we have to get into. If you're God's child, it's a zone that you live in. You are standing and living in God's grace. So it'd be a heck of an idea if you would just do what I'm suggesting here today. Just take a day and and mark down all the evidences of God's grace. But I doubt you and I are going to do that. I'm just keeping it real here. I mean, because it's not the kind of thing I would do. I mean, it could be that you're here today and you will do that, and that'll be a wonderful exercise, and you will see so many opportunities. But most of us, we're just going to say, no, I can't do that. And I'm just speaking from personal experience here today. Oddly enough, most of us will experience God's rich grace in our daily life on some of the worst days of our lives. I don't know why we tend to notice it then. You know, this seems contradictory because you would think you would notice God's grace in a day when everything is going good, but there's something about God's grace that is most apparent on the darkest days of our lives. I've shared a story with you about the darkest time in my life. I shared it in a series called Intensive Care, and then I talked about it last year in a series called Valleys. And it's not something that I'm comfortable doing, but I do it because, number one, it just certainly fits what we're talking about today. And every time I do talk about it, people tell me they've gone through similar things. Guys, you have to understand, I mean, I'm 56 years old. I've been pastoring for 36 years. This is an interesting anniversary for me at New Spring. I'm 56 years old, and I've been here 28 years. So half my life has been at New Spring. And guys, you need to understand, I mean, I am a radical pastor. I mean, I have the accelerator all the way to the floor. I am a risk taker. I I just always believe this. If, If this is the church of Jesus Christ, it ought to be extraordinary in every aspect. And so throughout all my career, it's like I've always been, let's go for the next big thing. I mean, whatever's happening, let's do it. I mean, we've gone through relocation, eight-year process of relocation. Do you realize that the church, the congregation that stepped out on faith and did this relocation and built this first building was a church of 600? Today, 6,000 meet here on a weekend. And, and I got to live through all that and to experience it and, and explore it and get to be a leader during that time. And then we went through a transition in 2004. At that time, we had about 1,200 people who were attending, but we didn't feel like we were building bridges to people who were spiritually unresolved. And I said, we'll pay any price to build bridges to our community. And it was controversial. And out of that 1,200, we lost 800 of those people, good people, but just saw the church differently. But through those years of transition, God reoriented New Spring, and all of a sudden, thousands of people came in. Many of you came in as a result. A lot of you came here because someone said to you, hey, you ought to try New Spring because it's a weird, it's a different kind of church. (laughs) Well, it it was a challenge to get here. And but I've just been through all those things and and, 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 and all that time I just rolled with it. But all this time also, I've dealt with ADHD. I had a, I've had the privilege of working with a friend who's perhaps the nation's leading expert in ADHD, and he said, I think you might possibly be the most ADHD human being I've ever met in my life. And all these things I'd gone through, it's just like I just rolled with it. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I was accustomed to being the adult in the room, large and in charge, and the person sitting at the head of the table where everybody turned and asked me, what do we do? And then just week after week, I would step up and speak and whatever, whatever my life required from me. But at the end of 2010, and I don't know if anybody's been through anything like this. If you have, you know what I'm talking about. It was like at the end of 2010, it was like the perfect storm. 
How many of you have been through a situation where if you had just had to deal with one issue, you could have dealt with it, but you had four or five issues coming together and morphing into one storm? I was exhausted. I had been pressing to the breaking point. There had been years of firing all the adrenaline that my body had to fire. And then I became physically ill. And I started having symptoms that were really, really scary. Thankfully, they turned out to be minor. But at the time, I didn't know that. And you know what? Within 48 hours, at least the way I saw it, I'm sure that those who loved me and were watching me could see it happening over a period of time. But within 48 hours, I went from being just like nothing was wrong to just almost imploding. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't really want to see anybody. I just didn't, I didn't have the strength to do it. I mean, it's like I'd never been through anything like that in my life. I mean, if you, if you see me in the way I talk today, that's the way I am all the time. I'm just high energy all the time, but all of a sudden, I didn't have any energy. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I mean, Mary Alice has known me since she was 14, and she didn't know this person. And if you were here back during, during that time, we were doing a series called... Uh, things hereafter or, or, or hereafter. And the first week I brought a message and everybody thought it was an important message and a great message, but I'm just like going, I'm, I'm draining. And the second week I brought a message called the worship of heaven, which I have friends who still say is the greatest message I've ever preached, but I have no idea how I even walked on stage those four times. And in the third week, I was about to close down. And Mary Alice didn't know what to do. And all of my friends didn't know what to do. And, and my staff leadership team didn't know what to do because this person that they were, that, that was their pastor and their leader, just quiet. And during that time, Mary Alice and I wound up going to Atlanta. And, and, and while we were in Atlanta, I, I um, well, actually, my cousin Anita Renfro was flying into Atlanta while we were flying out. And, and I met with Anita, and Anita was telling me that this, it was going to be the darkest night in 400 years. I asked Mary Alice, I've never done this before, but I asked Mary Alice for permission to read you part of her journal for that day. Let me read it to you. Mary Alice wrote, tonight will be the darkest night in almost 400 years. That's what my husband told me as he sat down in his seat next to me. The last ones to board, we just barely made it to our seats before the door closed. Mark had been downstairs in the Atlanta airport talking with a family member who wanted to try to encourage him in this very difficult time. There was only a short window of time for that to happen, so Mark had to run to make it back to the gate in time. As Mark told me about the lunar eclipse that was to occur that night, December 21st, 2010, the look in his eyes said what he didn't say out loud, this truly is the darkest night for us. And I want to tell you what was really difficult for me, because you have to understand that in my role, my role is to be a leader for God. And you can imagine how any human being could try to take on that role. And, and, and I didn't take it on because I wanted to. I took it on because God called me to do it. But you think about all the decisions that I make on a daily basis. And I would think about God's perfect standard and where I was. And even though I didn't have anything in my life that anybody would consider a scandal, I could look at all the failures that I had through the years. And I thought, maybe this is God's way of saying, I'm through with you with you. And during this time, I actually began to wonder, well, was God pleased with anything? Was God, I mean, maybe the things that I had done, maybe I'd done just because I was a good strategic leader. Maybe I'd done those things because 
you know, it was just my job to do those things. And I became so concerned. And of course, if, if you've ever been through a moment like this where you're weak physically and you're tired emotionally and, and, and mentally, it's just a challenge. And during that time, thinking that God was finished with me, I remember we decided we just needed to get away. And so Marilis and I went to Phoenix for, we didn't know how long. We just, we were flying to Phoenix. In fact, I remember being on the airplane leaving and saying, I don't know if I could ever come back. That morning, I can still see. I knew I needed to get out a message to you guys because all this had happened in a pretty quick period of time. And I, I can still remember, I had a very early flight to Phoenix, and I remember going to my breakfast bar and typing out a message to the church on the breakfast bar. And I, and I typed it up on my computer, packed my computer, and I just basically said some things. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I just need to take some time off and just kind of share with you some of the things that I'd shared up till now verbally with you. And I didn't send it. I, we, we got all the way to Phoenix, and, and I remember when we got there, our, our board had been so gracious to me, and, and we pulled up to the hotel that they had secured, and, and I looked at this magnificent hotel just a little ways from where they hold the Phoenix open, and I said to Mary Alice, because here's what I couldn't understand. Why is everybody being so good to me? Why is everybody being so good to me? I said, I, I mean, I felt like I had let everybody down, and I thought, why is everybody being so good to me? And Marielle said, well, Mark, they just said to tell you that you've been investing in our lives all these years, and we want to invest in, in your life. And, and there was Mary Alice. I mean, it's just like she just shut down her world, and 24-7 she spent time with me and talked to me. And, and my friends were coming by to encourage me. And I remember that at that first night that we were in Phoenix, I finally opened up the document that I'd written that morning, and I pressed send, and it went out to everybody in New Spring. And within seconds, it was an avalanche of messages that began to pour in. I mean, there were hundreds of messages. As so many of you wrote me, and, and some of you said things like, Mark, you know, God has used you to change my life. And probably the ones that really meant the most to me so many people wrote and said, Mark, I came to know Jesus through you. And I would read the message and cry for a while, pass the computer, but else she'd read and cry for a while, pass it back to me, and, and we read what felt like hundreds of messages of encouragement. And Mary Alice looked at me at that moment because she was just trying to get me to talk. And she said, how do you feel right now? <laughs> I've been speaking since I was 16. That's 40 years. I've been pastoring for 36. I have spoken and written hundreds of thousands of lines, but the line that came out of me at that moment came out of a, the deepest place that I've ever composed any line in my life. Marielle said, how do you feel right now? And I said, I feel like I'm on an island of doubt surrounded by a sea of grace. Have you ever been there? Honestly, it was confusing to me. I mean, if God was through with me and God was judging me and punishing me for failing, I didn't understand why everybody was being so good to me. If God was out to hurt me, then where were all these blessings coming from? And that's why I said I feel like I'm on an island of doubt. I mean, I don't know if anybody's been there, but if you have, you know what, what I meant by an island of doubt. You, you don't know what's going on. You don't know why it's going on. You don't know if it's the end. You don't know if it's your fault and nothing's changing. There are no answers. I mean, I remember telling Mary Alice at one moment, and I meant this with all my heart, I would give 10 years of my life to have a 10-minute conversation with Jesus where he could talk back to me. 
It was puzzling. You know, I, had a, I, had, I was misguided about something back then. See, I had this idea. I felt like if everything's going pretty well, then God's probably pleased with me. And if things are not going well, then God is displeased with me. Or there's a purpose for what I'm going through. But if there's a purpose, then God will show me what the purpose is. It was kind of like a transitive principle that said, you know what? If, if God doesn't reveal the purpose of why I'm suffering, then he must be unhappy with me. But there are times when you and I are going to go through difficult times and God is not displeased with us and he's not going to share the purpose with us. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves on an island of doubt surrounded by a sea of grace. Well, what's the island of doubt? And why do we go through it? Because, see, a lot of people don't understand this. I'm, I'm not sure I did before that moment. There are three reasons, and they're real quick while we go through while we find ourselves on the island of doubt. First of all, it's a broken world. I mean, it is a world that is broken. God didn't break the world. It was broken by sin, and it is, it's a broken world. I mean, there's 7 billion people of us on this, on, this, on this circle, and we all have a sin nature. So it's a broken world, and, and it doesn't matter how smart you are, how gifted you are, how talented you are. You can be lead partner. You can be you know, chief of staff. You can, be, you, can, you can be president or CEO, but it doesn't matter. You can't navigate this world without getting cut up by it. It's a broken world. And the stresses will take their toll. And if you have my personality, you can, you can say, ah, that didn't bother me. I'm just fine. I'm just fine. I'm, I handle that just fine. You can say it all you want to, but eventually it'll take its toll. It's a broken world. And then on top of that, even though it's not popular to say today, it's still true. You and I have an enemy. Just as we have a God who loves us, we have an enemy who hates us. Peter would say, your enemy, like a lion, goes around looking for somebody to devour. If you've ever watched one of these you know, nature films from Africa and you see a lion going after its prey, which one of the prey does it go after? It goes after the prey that's struggling. It goes after the prey that's having a hard time, the one that's in the back. And in my life, I was going through a difficult time. And boy, clearly, I can tell you, Satan saying, well, get him. And then, and then it's a broken world, and you have an enemy named Satan. And let's be honest, you and I have hauled in some quicksand to our islands of doubt. Lord knows I had. Now, you say, well, Mark, you've said this message is about grace, and you spent the rest of the time talking about going through a difficult moment. And remember, I said most of us will not discover God's grace on good days. We'll discover God's grace in maybe the darkest day of our life. How does it work? Give me a few minutes, and we'll end this sermon. You know, in the Bible, there was a guy that was kind of like a Bible rock star. His name was Paul, probably the most influential Christian who ever lived. Made three and a half missionary journeys, started churches all over the world, wrote 13 of your 27 books in your New Testament. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. I think there are some verses in the Bible that ought to be in school zones because you just need to slow down when you read it. Here's what he said. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Now, I don't know exactly what Paul had. You know, scholars through the years have questioned what was this thorn in the flesh Paul had. We know that's a metaphor. But work with Paul for just a moment. If you had a thorn in your body, like in your foot or in your hand, it would not be debilitating, but it would make everything you do difficult. And I think there's a reason why God doesn't tell us what Paul's thorn in the flesh is, because I'm going to guess here today, I'm going to go out on a limb, 
And I'm going to guess that everybody here in this room, starting with me, has a thorn in the flesh. And with that definition, you can still do what you do, but you got something in your life, probably, that makes it difficult. Maybe it's a mood disorder. Maybe you deal with depression. And you're maybe the best person. You, you, you may be the best worker where you work, but there are days when it's hard to get out of bed or there are days when it's hard to get sleep. And you got friends, maybe loving friends, who say, just snap out of it. And they don't have, they don't, they don't have a clue how much you would love to just snap out of it. And somehow you find a way to make it through the day and do what you do because you deal with depression, anxiety disorders, or whatever you're wrestling with. Others of us, it could just be a situation that won't resolve. I mean, you just try and you try and you try, but you just can't get the situation to resolve. Or maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a relationship that won't turn around. It could be a learning disorder. It could just be something that you can't do that most people can do. But my guess is that all of us here today, whether it's you or the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, all of us here today, we have thorns in the flesh. And Paul did. And he said that the thorn came to torment him. That means to strike with a closed fist. And he tells us who the thorn came from. It was a messenger of Satan. So clearly Paul understood that the problems that came about in his life were direct result of Satan. And by the way, I do believe, and you and I need to understand, that Satan is the one who is behind the bad things that happen in our lives. I don't think God in 2010 said, let me just see if I can terrorize Mark. No, I had an enemy. But the interesting thing about this thorn in the flesh that came to torment him that was a messenger of Satan, Paul said there was a purpose for it. It was to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. In other words, even though Satan was the one who was the source of the thorn in the flesh, God utilized it. Guys, I, I could take a long time today, which I'm not going to do it in seconds. When, think, thankfully, I got well real quickly and turned around and came back, and, and I've had probably the two greatest years of my career. But i got to tell you, what I went through in 2010 has opened the doors for hundreds of wonderful things. I have an opportunity to speak in the life of leaders that I never would have had if I hadn't gone through the thing of 2010. Because, see, Satan meant to do me harm, but God said, hey, I want to use this for something good. If I was a devil, this is what would frustrate me to no living in because as soon as he pays a road to bring damage to a child of God, God will turn around and use it as an Audubon to bring blessing. Now, Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now I'm thinking if God's ever going to answer anybody, he's going to answer his boy. I mean, after all, this is Paul. This is a rock star. I mean, I mean, after all, if anybody's got an inside track to just say, hey, God, my world's broken. Would you fix it for me? I'm thinking God say, oh, that's Paul talking here. Yeah, I don't know if I'll do it for Mark, but I'll do it for Paul. Work with me for, or work with Paul for a moment. He said three times I pleaded with God to take it away. So tell me, what was God's answer? Paul said, I asked God to fix my broken world. And God said, no. Do you and I, you ready for this? Do you and I understand that God can't fix this 
broken world. It's not a fixing kind of job. God didn't break the world. It can be redeemed. It can be rebuilt. It is going to be redeemed. It is going to be rebuilt. That's what we call heaven. That's what we talked about at the beginning. There is going to be a time when everything is right. But God cannot fix our broken world. There are some things like Paul that are going to be broken in our world, and they're not going to be fixed. Paul said, I asked God three times, whatever it was, to fix my broken world. And God said, no. Let me ask you a sensitive question. Have you ever left the room early when God said no about fixing your broken world? I got friends who are atheists because of that. They wanted God to fix their broken world, and when it didn't happen, they said there must not be a God. Have you ever left the room early when God said no? I remember one time when I was in high school, I had a forensics tournament. It was one of the biggest tournaments that I was ever in, and I won the thing. And I remember my coach asking me, don't you want to stay around for the award ceremony? I said, no. The judges didn't like my speech. I got interrupted a couple of times. There's no way in the world I won. Biggest trophy I ever won. It was in the middle of the trophy case at my high school. I didn't stay around. I didn't walk across the stage and receive my trophy because I was sure I didn't win. Have you ever left the room early when God said, no, I'm not going to fix your broken world. No, I'm not going to heal your body. No, I'm not going to give you that job. See, here's the thing. If we leave the room early, we will never hear what God says to Paul and what he says to you and me. He said, no, I'm not going to fix your broken world. But he said to me, Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In weakness. What God says to you and me is your world is broken, and there are parts of it that are never going to be right. But God is saying, watch for my gifts, because my gifts will offset the brokenness of the world. And in your brokenness and in your difficulties and in your things that will never be right, God says, I will come along, and I will bring my gifts, and my gifts will help you make it through. Have you ever had a bad day and something goes wrong? And a friend calls you up, and you know she or he knows they can't fix what's broken. But your friend calls up and says, hey, I know you're going through a tough time. Uh, Let me just come spend the day with you. And your friend comes over, and you hang out. Your friend takes you to dinner, spends time with you. And no, it doesn't fix what's broken, but you make it through the day. And I think that's what God is trying to tell us. There are going to be some things that are going to be broken in this world, and they won't be fixed But God is saying, if you'll let me, I'll come by and we'll spend the day together. And the gifts that I bring will get you through the day. And his grace will lead us home. Thank you for listening today. If you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God. I don't want you to leave without receiving the gift of everlasting life. Would you just pray with me for a moment? If you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I want to know God. I want, I want more than religion. I want grace. Let me pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but these are words that if you mean, God will listen. He'll be on the other end. Ready? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me with unconditional love. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Hey, I know that was quick, but if you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a packet. It's got a DVD, and it's got a book. Believe it or not, I wrote this in the hotel room in Phoenix that I talked to you about. But it's, it's how to be sure that you have a relationship with God. And then there's also a coupon for a new Bible. If you just pray to receive Christ, please come by guest services in the front or back. God bless. Thank you very much. Luis.